Section four of Holidays at Roselands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Holidays at Roselands by Martha Finley. Chapter three, part two. The elder Mr. Dinsmore had been out all the afternoon and not returning until just as the bell rang for tea, heard nothing of Elsie's injury until after he had taken his seat at the table. The children had all reported that Arthur had pushed her down, and thus the story was told to his father. The old gentleman was very angry, for he had a great contempt for such cowardly deeds, and said before all the guests that if it were so, Arthur should be severely punished. Mr. Horace Dinsmore came down as the rest were about leaving the table. "'I should like to have a few moments' conversation with you, Horace, when you have finished your tea,' his father said, lingering behind the others. "'It is just what I wish, sir,' replied his son. "'I will be with you directly. Shall I find you in the library?' "'Yes. I hope the child was not hurt, Horace,' he added, inquiringly, stepping back again just as he had reached the door. "'Pretty badly, I am afraid,' said Mr. Dinsmore gravely. "'She is suffering a good deal.' Mr. Dinsmore was not long at the table, for he was anxious to get back to his child, yet his father, whom he found striding back and forth across the library, in a nervous, excited way, hailed him with the impatient exclamation, "'Come at last, Horace! I thought you would never have done eating!' Then throwing himself into a chair, "'Well, what is to be done about this bad business?' he asked. "'Is it true that Arthur had a hand in it?' "'I have not a doubt of it myself, sir,' replied his son. They all agree that he was close to her when she fell, and neither he nor she denies that he pushed her, she only begs not to be forced to speak, and he says nothing. And now, father, I have fully made up my mind that either that boy must be sent away to school, or I must take Elsie and make a home for her elsewhere. Why, Horace, that is a sudden resolution, is it not? No, father, not so much as it seems. I have suspected for some time past that Elsie had a good deal to bear from Arthur and Enna to say nothing of an older person, to whom Enna is continually carrying tales. Elsie is too generous to tell tales, too meek and patient to complain, and so it has been only very gradually that I have learned how much of petulance, tyranny, and injustice she has had to endure from those from whom she certainly had a right to expect common kindness, if not affection. Yesterday afternoon she came to me, in such a state of nervous excitement as convinced me that something had gone very much amiss with her, but what it was I did not know, for she seemed unwilling to tell and I would not force her to do so. However, by putting a few questions to some of the little guests, I have since learned enough to fill me with indignation at the treatment to which my child has been subjected, even during the last two weeks, and now the occurrences of this afternoon have put the finishing stroke to all this, and I cannot any longer feel that my child is safe where Arthur is. It is a great mercy that she escaped being killed or crippled for life." And he dropped his face into his hands and shuddered. "'Don't, Horace, my son,' his father said kindly, laying his hand on his shoulder. "'I don't like to see you give way so. It is not worth while troubling ourselves about what might have been, and we will take measures to prevent such occurrences in the future.' But you mustn't think of leaving us to set up a separate establishment, unless you are intending to marry again, and I don't believe you are." Mr. Dinsmore shook his head. "'Nothing of the kind,' he said, but I must protect my child. She has no one else to look to for protection or sympathy or love, my poor little one, and it would be hard indeed if she could not have them from me." "'So it would, Horace, certainly. 
I am afraid we have none of us treated the poor little thing quite as kindly as we might, but I really was not aware that she had been so much abused, and shall certainly speak to Mrs. Dinsmore about it. And Arthur shall be sent away to school, as you have suggested. It is what I have been wanting to do for some time, for he is getting quite beyond Miss Day, but his mother has always opposed it, and I have foolishly given up to her for peace's sake. I set my foot down now, however, and he shall go. He deserves it richly, the young rascal. Such a base, cowardly act as to attack a little girl, big, strong boy that he is. I'm ashamed of him. You, Horace, were a wild, headstrong fellow, but I never knew you do a mean or cowardly thing. You were always above it. I hope so, indeed, sir. But now, to go back to the present business, do you not think it would be well to call all the young people together and have a thorough investigation of this affair? I have promised Elsie that she shall not be forced to speak, but I hope we may be able to learn from the others all that we need to know. Yes, yes, Horace, we will do so at once, replied his father, ringing the bell. They must be all through with their tea by this time, and we will invite them into the drawing-room and cross-question them until we get to the bottom of the whole thing. A servant answered the bell, and received directions to request, on his master's behalf, all the guests, both old and young, as well as every member of the family, to give their attendance in the drawing-room for a few moments. "'Stay, father,' said Horace. "'Possibly Arthur might be induced to confess, and so spare himself and us the pain of a public exposure. Had we not better send for him first? His father assented, and the servant was ordered to go in search of Arthur and bring him to the library. Arthur had been expecting such a summons, and had quite made up his mind what to do. "'Confess,' he said to himself. "'No, indeed, I'll not. Nobody but Elsie knows that I did it, and she'll never tell. So I'll stick to it that it was only an accident.' He came in with a look of sullen, dogged determination on his countenance, and stood before his father and brother with folded arms and an air of injured innocence. He was careful, however, not to meet his brother's eye. "'Arthur,' began his father, sternly, "'this is shameful, cowardly behavior, utterly unworthy of a son of mine, this unprovoked assault upon a defenseless little girl. It has always been considered a cowardly act to attack one weaker than ourselves.' "'I didn't do it. She slipped and fell of herself,' replied the boy fiercely, speaking through his clenched teeth. "'Arthur,' said his brother, in a calm, firm tone, "'the alternative before you is a frank and full confession here in private, or a disgraceful public exposure in the drawing-room. You had better confess, for I have not the least doubt of your guilt, because I well know that Elsie would have asserted your innocence had she been able to do so with truth.' "'She wouldn't.' "'She hates me,' muttered the boy. "'Yes, and I hate her, too,' he added, almost under his breath. But his brother's quick ear caught the words. "'Yes,' he answered bitterly. "'You have given full proof of that. But never, while I live, shall you have another opportunity to wreak your hellish rage upon her.' But threats and persuasions were alike powerless to move Arthur's stubborn will. For, trusting to their supposed inability to prove his guilt, he persisted in denying it, and at length, much against his inclination, was forced to accompany his father and brother to the drawing-room where the entire household was already assembled. There was a good deal of excitement and whispering together, especially amongst the younger portion of the assembly, and many conjectures as to the cause of their being thus called together, nearly all giving it as their decided opinion that Elsie's accident had something to do with it. Herbert was looking pale and nervous, and kept very close to his mamma. Harry Carrington and Carrie Howard were grave and thoughtful, while Lucy and Mary seemed restless and excited, and the lesser ones full of curiosity and expectation. 
There was quite a little buzz all over the room as the two gentlemen and Arthur entered, but it died away instantly, and was succeeded by an almost death-like stillness, broken the next moment by the elder Mr. Dinsmore's voice, as he briefly stated his object in thus calling them together, and earnestly requested any one present who could throw the least light on the subject to speak. He paused, and there was a moment of profound silence. "'Who was nearest to Elsie when she fell?' he asked. "'Can anyone tell me?' "'Arthur, sir,' replied several voices. Another pause. "'Who else was near her?' he asked. "'Miss Carrie Howard, I have noticed that you and Elsie are usually together. Can you tell me if she could have fallen of herself? Were you near enough to see?' Carrie answered reluctantly. "'Yes, sir. I had stepped from her side at the moment she stooped to pick up something, and feel quite certain that she was not near enough to the edge to have fallen of herself.' "'Thank you for your frank reply. And now, Master Harry Carrington, I think I heard someone say you were quite close to Arthur at the time of Elsie's fall. Can you tell me what he did to her? You will confer a great favour by answering with equal frankness.' "'I would much rather have been excused from saying anything, sir,' replied Harry, colouring and looking as if he wished himself a thousand miles away. "'But since you request it, I will own that I was close to Arthur, and think he must have pushed Elsie in springing past her, but it may have been only an accident. "'I fear not,' said the old gentleman, looking sternly at his son. "'And now, does any one know that Elsie had vexed Arthur in any way, or that he had any unkind feelings toward her?' "'Yes, Papa,' Walter spoke up suddenly. "'I heard Arthur the other day talking very crossly about Elsie, and threatening to pay her for something, but I didn't understand what.' Mr. Dinsmore's frown was growing darker, and Arthur began to tremble and turn pale. He darted a fierce glance at Walter, but the little fellow did not see it. "'Does anyone know what Elsie had done?' was the next question. No one spoke, and Herbert fidgeted and grew very pale. Mr. Horace Dinsmore noticed it, and begged him if he knew anything to tell it at once. And Herbert reluctantly repeated what he had already told his mother of the conversation in the woods, and as he concluded, Laura drew a note from her pocket, which she handed to her father, saying that she had picked it up in the schoolroom from a pile of rubbish which Arthur had carelessly thrown out of his desk. Mr. Dinsmore took it, glanced hastily over the contents, and with a groan exclaimed, "'Is it possible? A gambler already! Arthur, has it really come to this?' "'Go to your room, sir,' he added sternly, "'there to remain in solitary confinement until arrangement can be made to send you to school at a distance from the home, which shall be no longer polluted by your presence, for you are unworthy to mingle with the rest of the family.' Arthur obeyed in sullen silence, and his father, following, turned the key upon him, and left him to solitude and his own reflections. "'Did my little daughter think Papa had quite forgotten his promise?' asked Mr. Horace Dinsmore, as again he stood by Elsie's couch. "'No, Papa,' she said, raising her eyes to his face with a grateful, loving look. "'It seemed very long, but I knew you would come as soon as you could, for I know you never break your word.' Her confidence pleased him very much, and with a very gratified look he asked whether he should sit by her side or take her again upon his knee. "'Take me on your knee again, if you please, Papa,' she said, "'and then will you read a little to me? I would like it so much.' I will do anything that will give my little girl pleasure, he replied, as he once more lifted her gently and placed her in the desired position. What shall the book be? he asked. One of the new ones I bought you the other day? Not that tonight, if you please, papa. I would rather hear a little from an old book, she answered. 
with a sweet smile lighting up her little pale face. "'Won't you please read me the fifty-third chapter of Isaiah?' "'If you wish it, dearest. But I think something lively would be much better, more likely to cheer you up.' "'No, dear Papa. There is nothing cheers me up like the Bible. It is so sweet and comforting. I do so love to hear of Jesus, how he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows.' "'You are a strange child,' he said, "'but you shall have whatever you want to-night. Hand me that Bible, Aunt Chloe, and set the light a little nearer.' Mr. Dinsmore was an uncommonly fine reader, and Elsie lay listening to that beautiful passage of holy writ, as one might listen to strains of the softest, sweetest music. "'Now, dear Papa, the twenty-third of Luke, if you please,' she said when he had finished. He turned to it, and read it without any remark. As he closed the book and laid it aside, he saw that tears were trembling on the long silken lashes that rested on the fair young cheek, for her eyes were closed, and but for those tell-tale drops he would have thought her sleeping. "'I feared it would make you sad, darling,' he said, brushing them away and kissing her fondly. "'No, dear Papa, oh, no,' she answered earnestly. "'Thank you very much for reading it. It has made me feel a great deal better.' "'Why did you select those particular passages?' he asked with some curiosity. "'Because, Papa, they are all about Jesus, and tell how meekly and patiently he bore sorrow and suffering.' Oh, Papa, if I could only be like him! I am not much like him, but it makes it easier to forgive and to be patient and kind and gentle when we read about him, how good he was, and how he forgave his murderers. You are thinking of Arthur, he said. I shall find it very hard to forgive him. Can you do so? Yes, Papa, I think I can. I have been praying for him, and have asked God to help me forgive and love him. He has treated you very badly. I know all about it now. And then, in answer to her surprised, inquiring look, he proceeded to give her an account of all that had taken place that evening in the library and drawing-room. "'And he hates me, Papa,' she said mournfully, the tears filling her eyes. "'Why should he feel so? I have always tried to be kind to him.' "'Yes, I know it,' he replied. "'You have often done him kindnesses, and I know of no other cause for his enmity, unless it is that you have sometimes been obliged to bear witness against him.' "'Yes, Papa,' on several occasions when he was putting all the blame of his naughty deeds on little Walter or poor Jim. "'You were perfectly right,' he said, caressing her, "'and he will not have another opportunity to vent his spite upon you, as he is to be sent away to boarding-school immediately.' "'Oh, Papa!' she exclaimed. "'I am so sorry for him, poor fellow. It must be so dismal to go off alone among strangers. Dear Papa, do ask Grandpa to forgive him, just this once, and I don't believe he will ever behave so again.' "'No, daughter, I shall not do anything of the kind,' he answered decidedly. "'I think it will be for Arthur's own good to be sent away, where he will not have his mother to spoil him by indulgence. "'And besides, I cannot feel that you are safe while he is about the house, and I consider it my first duty to take care of you. Therefore I have insisted upon it that either he must be sent away, or you and I must go and make a home for ourselves somewhere else.' "'Oh, Papa, how delightful that would be to have a home of our own!' she exclaimed eagerly. "'Will you do it some day?' "'Should you like it so much?' he asked. "'Oh, yes, Papa, so very, very much. When will you do it, Papa?' "'I don't know, darling. Some day, if we both live. Perhaps when you are old enough to be my housekeeper.' "'But that will be such a long, long time to wait, Papa,' she said, the eager, joyous expression fading away from her face, and the pale, wearied look coming back again. "'Perhaps we will not wait for that, darling. I did not say that we would,' he replied in a soothing tone, as he passed his hand caressingly over her hair and cheek. 
Then he added a little mischievously, "'I think possibly I might induce Miss Stevens to keep house for us. Shall I ask her?' "'Oh, Papa, no, that would spoil it all,' she said, with a blush and a look of surprise. "'And besides, I'm sure Miss Stevens would feel insulted if anybody should ask her to go out as housekeeper.' "'No, I think not, if I asked her,' laughed Mr. Dinsmore. "'But you need not be alarmed. I have no notion of doing it. Now, daughter, I shall bathe your ankle with that liniment again, and put you in bed, and you must try to go to sleep.' "'My prayers first, Papa, you know,' she replied, making an effort to get down upon the floor." but he held her fast. "'No, daughter, you are not able to kneel to-night,' he said, "'and therefore it is not required. The posture makes but little difference, since God looks not at it, but at your heart.' "'I know that, Papa, but I ought to kneel if I can. And if I may I would much rather try.' "'No, I shall not allow you to do so. It would not be right,' he replied decidedly. "'You may say them here while I have you in my arms, or after I have put you in bed.' "'Then I will say them in my bed, Papa,' she answered submissively. She was very patient and quiet while her father and nurse dressed her ankle, and prepared her for bed, and when he had laid her in and covered her up, he sat down beside her and listened to the low murmured words of her prayer. "'I think you prayed for me as well as for Arthur,' he remarked when she had done. "'What did you request for me?' "'I asked, as I always do, that you might love Jesus, Papa, and be very happy indeed, both in this world and the next.' "'Thank you,' he said. "'But why are you so anxious that I should love him? "'It would not trouble me if you did not, "'so long as you loved and obeyed me.' "'A tear trickled down her cheek and fell upon the pillow, "'as she answered in a half-tremulous tone, "'Because I know, Papa, that no one can go to heaven "'who does not love Jesus, "'nor ever be really happy anywhere, for the Bible says so. "'Papa, you always punish me when I am disobedient to you, "'and the Bible says God is our Father "'and will punish us if we do not obey him.' and one of his commands is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And in another place it says, Every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. He did not reply, and his countenance was almost stern in its deep gravity. Elsie feared she had displeased him. Dear Papa, she said, stretching out her little hand to him, I am afraid I have said things to you that I ought not. Are you angry with me? No, daughter, he replied, as he bent down and kissed her cheek, but you must not talk any more to-night. I want you to shut your eyes and go to sleep. She threw her arm around his neck and returned his caress, saying, Good night, dear, dear Papa. I do love you so much, then turned away her face, shut her eyes, and in a few moments was sleeping sweetly. End of section 4